Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the picture palace of the past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight is a time to review the review. Because believe it or not, it has been a full year since this show began. It will be a few days after the official launch was started, but on November 12th, 2020... This show debuted with a wild and out there chat with Zach Bynes of Talk and Troma that kicked off this crazy notion of talking about Golden Age Hollywood, classic radio, and early world cinema with a guest each week and having a few laughs and lessons along the way. It has been quite a ride, and not one that has been taken for granted. There was frankly no reason for me to assume that this would last an entire year. I have been, in the past, one who would cave in under the pressure of any such task, and rather embarrassingly, I might add. In fact, I'm not even sure what contribution I have to give apart from the folks who, week after week for the past 48 episodes, donated their time, knowledge, and humor to create this forum discussing showbiz past and reckonings that one must face in order to grow beyond. Frankly, the only contribution that I can give is the 35 guests that I've had the privilege of sitting down and chatting with. Guests that range the gamut with a wide range of opinions and observations to lend to the ever-growing discussion and appreciation for yesteryear. Frankly, without them, I'd be lost. Um, in fact, they're the real stars of this show. I'm just some goofball at a mic who gathers some notes each week and has the privilege of talking to them. So without making this into too much of a rambling thing, as is my usual custom, I would like to thank Zach Bynes, Ryan Frost, Adam Jewell, Brandon Rose, Andrew Saunders, Tyler Maybe, Matt Willicks, Henry Jarvis, John Strelick, Laura Lebowitz, Phil Vecchio, Kev Eternal Moore, Ryan Francis Johnson, Aaron Pendergast, Smokey, just Smokey, Marshall Rosales, Hope Sears, Undead Matt, Krampus Cody, Kathy Fuller Seeley, Tony Gross, Olivia Carmel, Anthony Kuba, Brent Ballard, Brad Haig, Jack Hanley, John Ekstrom, Pam Munter, Jamie Dyer, Mr. Lloyd Kaufman, Sterling Cook, Abella Bala, Matthew Murbach, and Aaron Mullane for coming aboard the ride and making it a first year in solar effort podcasting to be reckoned with by any other person who dares to try to start their own show. Although, frankly, you can always start your own show and be ten times better than me, but you just won't have these wonderful guests. Um, I also want to mention that some intrepid listeners have offered some needed corrections to prior episodes. One is from our fourth episode where I was completely wrong. Durante says Aunt Belle when he goes in for his final death speech. I got the name foolishly wrong. Additionally, the reason for Jack wearing that bowler hat in his cameo is that the long shot had already been shot where Stanley would have been expected to have already filmed the cameo. So Jack was just prepared for continuity, I guess. Additionally, on our Mel Blanc episode, I foolishly placed Hans Conried as Uncle Toons on Lucy when in fact it was on Danny Thomas's show Make Room for Daddy. The errors were not intended. I thank the listeners for having tuned in and offered these corrections profusely. I'm eager to learn at any point that I can, and I am certainly not the smartest person in the world, and frankly should not be given a microphone. And I have been enjoying the corrections and being made aware of these in order to make sure that I further learn and appreciate the things that are that are discussed on this show. And more than likely, I made some errors or several errors in the latest episode on the Marx Brothers. As there was a lot to cover, I'm sure I'll listen back in the next couple of weeks and go, ah, dang it. 
but it'll be a happy time to correct myself for that endeavor as we will be continuing to talk about the Marx Brothers with Tyler maybe, and maybe we will even get Andrew to put down that horn and actually speak. Hey, will Andrew speak? Or maybe son of Andrew speak? Who knows? But for now, the future. Hello? I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. For the next year, things will be getting quite interesting. First of all, while I do not plan on making this a terribly frequent thing, you may hear gaps uh, between weeks on this show. The reason? Well... There are a few that I can't discuss just yet, but one that I can talk about is that I will be taking more time to research to research the materials I have gathered to venture into that goal of writing a book about the film career of Jack Benny, aka the book that nobody is asking for but is going to get anyway. I have looked forward uh, to this endeavor for a long time, and I look forward to finally plunging into the journey, though the thought of it does weigh my confidence down quite a bit. I mean... Have you read most film books? They have like all these words and smart observations and two things that I am nowhere close to equipped to offer the intelligent world. But fools dare to dream foolish things. Additionally, there will be two series coming to YBR Presents, the solo feed where you can now enjoy all 25 episodes of the Shamley Silhouette. First, as said before, we will be doing more Marx Brothers talk. Though we shall be giving you those as episodes on this feed first before moving them over there. Something that will be coming exclusively to the YBR feed, though, Tour de Tati. That's right, folks. Sterling J. Cook, our guest from Jour de Fete, will be sitting down with me for a limited series covering the works of Jacques Tati. It will be a whole new ride for me, but one that Sterling has already dove into and he will be there to educate me as we go through the six films Tati made and how he emerged from a world of early cinema as the tide was turning to find himself amidst a new wave and having to balance the innate desires for tradition's past with the innovations that lie before him as a new era dawned. It will be quite a fun time, and I shall update you more as it unfolds. In the meantime, just brush up on your ability to deliver the mail on a bike hilariously. And now to cap off a year of podcasting and 48 episodes of my rather annoying voice, how about some radio shows to celebrate? And hey, why not two shows featuring the Marx Brothers? I knew you'd like that idea, Andrew. He's still here, by the way, folks. He hasn't left since Tyler and I recorded. Somebody tell his wife to come pick him up, please. Now, today I am going to present to you two shows from the golden age of radio comedy. First, we will be treated to a game show. The secret word here is hilarity. That's right, folks. You will be going back to the year 1949 for an episode of one of radio's most popular quiz shows, You Bet Your Life. Centered around a series of contestants competing for a grander prize, the key to the show was that there would be a pre-quiz banter between the contestants and the one, the only, Groucho Marx. Alongside him is his announcer, the man who devised the very plan that helped stop James Arness's monster in The Thing from Another World. That's right, it's George Fenneman, kids. That's where you applaud, guys. Sorry, George, I tried. Well, anyway, another great part of the show was that the secret word would be established at the top of the show, and if a contestant said the secret word throughout conversation, the contestant would be awarded $100. It's a common word, something you see around the house. Today's word? Well, I'll tell you guys in advance. It's radio. Here's hoping one of these lucky people out there in the audience back in 1949 gets it, as we are whisked away to October 26th of that very year for You Bet Your Life. Then, to close out this birthday celebration, let's dial the radio back to the year 1946, where we will enter the home of George Burns and Gracie Allen, where their guest will be the one, the only... Harpo marks? That's right. Utilizing what vocal skills he could, from the horn to the whistle, Harpo Marx plays a key role in this episode of radio's famous sitcom that deals with the domestic lives of George Burns and his dizzy wife, Gracie Allen. Though dizzy may be a rather mean term by today, Gracie absolutely holds her own in a role designed so brilliantly that it just it boggles the mind. Gracie is actually incredibly intelligent. 
Her logic makes sense to her, and it thus throws many for a loop in how to handle such a free spirit. In any sense, we should obviously look on such mad insistence of one's own convictions with caution these days, but for Gracie, I assure you, you can sit back and relax and enjoy yourself. She's here to have a good time with no malice. And Gracie can do anything, even be a gossip reporter for the goings-on in Hollywood. But who could possibly help her in this task? Well, enter Harpo, who is recruited by Gracie to help spy on other stars and report back to Gracie with juicy stories for her gossip column. Let's just say Harpo may not have been the best choice for Gracie. And let's just say he shouldn't have been trusted around silverware. Something we already knew from Animal Crackers, right? And we perhaps shouldn't trust the script for the job of faithful reporting either, for Meredith Wilson said he was glued to his seat for two hours during Harpo's latest motion picture, A Night in Casablanca, which was being promoted at the time of this episode. A wonderful film to be sure, but not for two hours. The film ran for 85 minutes. (laughs) Ah, but the logic makes sense to all those who say it and live it in the world of Burns and Allen leaving only poor George to logically point out the absurdity while smoking on his cigar and letting Gracie talk for more than 15 minutes. This will also, in effect, introduce listeners to Burns and Allen, who will be discussed on a later Ballyhoo episode that will be coming up with return guest John Ekstrom as we talk about their wonderful film, Here Comes Cookie. So for now, stumbling over my own words, I leave you with some wonderful laughs to celebrate a year of this show. To all of those who have encouraged me in this silly endeavor to celebrate yesteryear, I thank you on bended knee and hope you will stick with us as we have plenty of ways to keep talking about things inside the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Good night, folks, and I'll see you next week with my guest J. Allen Rickard for an intriguing talk about Rebel Without a Cause and the Children's Hour. Quite a double bill and for good reason. But until then... Let's turn our heads off, turn our brains off, and just kick back up our feet for some laughs from Groucho, Harpo, Fenneman, George, and of course, Gracie. Good night, folks. See you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is very hush-hush. Tonight, the secret word is radio. R-A-D-I-O. Really? You bet your life! The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho! Oh, you can do better than that. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx! Thank you. Well, here I am with $2,500 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's face to try for it? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a bachelor and a spinster, and here they are. Miss Dorothy Kent and Mr. Bob Davis meet Groucho Marx. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, I'll pay $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. So we have a bachelor and a spinster, eh? Miss uh, Dorothy Kent? That's right. Uh, In what town did you begin your career as a spinster? I was born in Buffalo, New York. And Mr. Davis? Bob, Bob Davis, huh? Where did you start being a bachelor? Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, what is your occupation, Dorothy? I'm a school teacher. A school teacher? That's right. Well, why is it you never married? You're a nice-looking girl. Well, I've never found the man who uh, made more money than I did as a school teacher, even though their salaries are low enough. You must have met some pretty low men in your <laughs> Would you, would you uh, think it too impertinent if I asked you how old you were, Dorothy? No, I'm 43. Well, you don't look it. You look Thank about you. 33. Thank you very much. What about me? Aren't you... <laughs> and Bob? How, how old are you, Bob? Well, I'm uh, approaching the half century mark. You yeah, have? Mm-hmm. Which century? The half... <laughs> and uh, why haven't you married well, uh, Mr. Davis, I just just want to take my time. I don't want to rush into that. <laughs> Seriously, thank you. Well, uh, frankly, you haven't been acting like a jet plane so far. 
How long do you think a man should know a girl before he takes any serious steps? Oh, I'd say about two or three years. You think people should wait two or three years before they get married? No, no, before they get engaged. <laughs> well, you're pretty near the slowest man I ever met. Are you sure you're not a statue from Pershing Square? <laughs> Will you turn around? I want to see if there's a pigeon on you. <laughs> now, Dorothy, uh, how would a marriage-minded woman like you encourage a creeping Casanova like him <laughs> to uh, pop the question? Well, I think one way would be to flatter him yes. or perhaps find his weakness. <laughs> Well, uh, you have a weakness, Bob, that you would care to discuss? No, no. In a, I mean, in addition to rushing headlong into everything. <laughs> now, Bob, what sort of work do you do? Well, uh, right now I'm in between jobs. I've done a lot of selling and, oh, I'm just uh, sort of looking into television. Oh, you're going to sell the, sell the sets, huh? Well, I don't know. I'm just looking into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you keep looking into it. All the sets will be sold by the time you... <laughs> well, in other words, at the moment, you're, you're at leisure. Is, is that right? I, I fool around a little bit with uh, radio. <laughs> Well, you said radio, and that's the secret word, so you just made $100. Here it is, and congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And you're going to fool around with television. <laughs> well, Bob, let's get back to the subject of romance. Uh, tell me, have you ever proposed to a girl? Yeah, yes, I did one time. Well, uh, how did you propose? I mean, what uh, position were you in, were you? Well, you know, the old one-knee position. What did you just say? Just uh, out of a clip? Well, I just uh, asked her if, if she would uh, like to be married. She was a little bit evasive, and she kept continuing that way for some time. And from time to time, I'd see her, but it just uh, sort of withered away. I forgot all about it. Well, tell me. It's a, a very sad story. Well, did you drop down on one knee every time you saw this girl? Oh, no. She just kept no. withering away, huh? No, I found out later on that... Uh, uh, from friends and acquaintances that she really... I thought I was in love with her, but she was really more in love with herself than I was with her. Well, the three of you could have been very happy with <laughs> Now, what qualities uh, do you think a woman should have in order to be eligible for your affections? You're a fine-looking broth of a boy. Well, I, I think she should be uh, kind and considerate and... Uh, fairly intelligent, and above all, uh, a good sense of humor. That's important. Oh, very important, yeah. Would you say you had a good sense of humor, Dorothy? Yeah? I think I have. Well, let's find out. Tell us a joke, huh? <laughs> any, any old joke that happens to be kicking around, I don't care, Dorothy. Yeah? Just remember, you're on the air, that's all. Right. Perhaps you've heard about the deep-sea diver who uh, met a mermaid. And he was so polite to her that he died. No, that's... <laughs> that's a pretty deep joke, isn't it? <laughs> Bob, what do you think of her joke? Would you consider that a good example of humor? Well, no, it's, uh, it's, it's an old joke, as I remember. I don't think she told it all. It seems to me it was kind of short. Uh, would, you, would you mind telling us the balance of it? Huh? Well, as I remember, it's uh, a deep-sea diver uh, met a mermaid, and he died because he dipped his hat. <laughs> I don't know. I like her way just as well. See, your way, you know there's no joke. With her way, there's always a little uncertainty. About it, huh? I don't know why you two don't get married. Between you, you could go around telling jokes together. You could be another Baines and Allen. 
Well, it's all settled. We're all ready for the ceremony. You ready, Bob? Huh? Oh, don't rush me. Don't rush me. Bob, you better get going. If you get married right away, someday you can bounce a little grandchild on your knee. What a thrill that'll be. A little Todd only two years old and you 196. <laughs> You're a charming and amiable couple. I think you'll be very happy together. Huh? <laughs> if you were half the man you said you were, you'd get down on one knee right now. Huh? And you'd get down on the other knee, darling. <laughs> now, let's play your bet your life. In just one minute, you're going to work together as a team for $2,500. Right now, I want you to listen to this. Let's see how well you two will do in the quiz. Fenneman, tell them how to play your bet your life. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Uh, cities on the Great Lakes. That's right. Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you try? Ten. On what lake is the city of Cleveland? Uh, Lake Erie. Lake Erie is right. And we're off to a good start with $30. Remember, this is chicken feed. What you're going after is at $2,500. Now, how much of your $30 will you try? Uh, $25. I think that would be all right. On what great lake is the city of Gary? Uh, Lake uh, Michigan. Lake Michigan is right. They're climbing now. They have $55. All right, you have $55. And here is your third question. How much are you going to bet? All right. Fifty-five. Fifty-five, huh? <laughs> On what lake is the city of Rochester? Uh, Rochester, New York is on Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario is correct. They're really on their way. They have $110. Say, Dorothy, you got yourself a pretty hot potato here. Didn't you? I haven't heard a peep out of you yet, huh? You got $110. Now, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 110 will you risk? One hundred and ten. One hundred and ten. One hundred and ten. This is Diamond Jim Brady. Right? <laughs> On what great lake is the city of Sandusky? On uh, Lake uh, Sandusky, Ohio. The city of Sandusky is on one of the great lakes. Lake Erie. Lake Erie is correct. Yeah. Good luck. Don't sneak away now. They'll be married by 10 o'clock, these two. Now, don't sneak away. You still have a chance for the big question. Our next couple has been in a waiting room offstage, Groucho, so they don't know the secret word is radio. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a baker and a housewife, and here they come. Mrs. Edda Daly and Baker Luther McCann meet Groucho Marx. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, I'll hand over $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Mrs. Uh, Edda Daly, huh? That's right. Uh, how long have you been a housewife? As long as I've been married. <laughs> Gonna have trouble with her, I can see. What does your husband do, uh, Mrs. Daly? Well, right now he's um, training horses. He's given them their basic training, and in April he's going to take two of them to the track. But basic right... training? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Are they in the service? <laughs> uh, how, how did you meet your husband? Well, uh, this was back east, and uh, he was a furnace man. He was putting a furnace in our house, but he was working up in the uh, putting the ventilator in oh. over the dining room. And we, while we were sitting there it, eating, yeah. I, he slipped on the rafter and he came right through the ceiling. It was a little house anyway. Well, he fell for you, huh? <laughs> well, I don't see the connection between putting a ventilator in the attic and you're getting married, huh? Well, at the time, I was engaged to somebody else. And after oh. I met Melvin, why... What happened to the other fellow? Then? He disappeared in thin air. Just withered away, huh? <laughs> Doing. This is a big night for withering tonight. <laughs> How many children do you have with this uh, finest man? One nice little girl, nine years old. Uh-huh. Is she as cute as you? 
Cuter. Cuter? Oh, pretty snappy looking gal there. Oh, I bet you tell that to all the girls. Well, I, I rarely say it to any of the men, huh? Does, uh, does your husband help you around the house, Ada? He's very nice and helpful. He, he does, uh, yeah. gets the breakfast in the morning while I'm getting my little girl's lunch. He takes the garbage out. <laughs> For school, I have to get her lunch made for school. What do you do, eat the whole three meals in the morning? <laughs> you must be ready to go to bed by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> well, I'm glad that day is over. <laughs> Uh, Luther McCann, uh, I've been kind of neglecting you here. Uh, uh, are you married, Luther? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So you're a baker, huh? That's right. Well, tell me, Pumpernickel, exactly where uh, <laughs> where do you do your baking, huh? Well, in an oven. <laughs> I didn't think you did it in a manhole. <laughs> I mean, what bakery? Uh... Well, I'm with uh, Humphrey's Bakery at the Farmer's Market, 3rd and uh -huh. Fairfax. Uh -huh. Tell me, Apple Dumpling, do you help your wife? <laughs> do you help your wife around the house? No. Why not? You're too busy bending over a hot stove, huh? I work nights most of the time. Too busy sleeping. <laughs> you ought to eat some of your yeast cakes, then you could rise in the morning, huh? I just read a very revealing book about cookies. It's called Let Him Eat Cheesecake by Earl Wilson. Unfortunately, you can't get that kind of cheesecake in a bakery. <laughs> Although they have some nice cookies there. Right? <laughs> now, what's the most popular pastry you uh, bake, Luther? Well, uh, most people sort of go in for those chocolate eclairs and those whipped cream and cream puffs. Mm -hmm. Pretty what's, nice. What's your recipe for uh, chocolate eclairs? Well, uh, the uh, eclair base is uh, with water and shortening, and uh, then you cook that together, and then you add your eggs and a little milk along with a little powdered ammonia to give them that blowed-up effect. I get that after I eat them, huh? <laughs> now let's play your bet your life for $2,500. If you run your $20 into more than the other couples, you get the chance at the big question later. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple earned. The Bachelor and the Spinster won $220. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Products of states, is that's, that right? That's right. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? $10, she says. Now, what state leads the nation in the production of corn? All right. Now, you can take one answer between you, decide between you, and then tell me. Tell them. Did you say Kansas? Yeah. Kansas. No, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry. It, it's <laughs> Iowa. Now you, now you have $10. Remember, you're going for $2,500 tonight. That's the big prize. Now, how much of your 10 will you try? That's all of it. Any way you say. You're going to bet all of it? Mm-hmm. What southwestern state leads in the raising of beef cattle and in oil production? Texas. Texas is right. <laughs> and now they're on their way. They have $20. Now you have $20. Here's your third question. How much will you bet? Let's bet all of it. Oh, just about 25. You, might well, you only have 20. How can you bet 20? You're not going down to the bank and borrow five, are you? Why don't you bet 30 while you're at it? All right, take a chance. You want to bet $20? What state makes more automobiles than any other state? Michigan. Michigan is right. They're climbing now. They have $40. You're climbing high up here. You've got $40, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 40 will you try? All of it. Now you can bet 30 if you want. <laughs> You're going to bet 40? Lady says all of it. You. Well, is that all right That's with you? okay with me. What is the leading coal mining state in the nation? Coal mining. Coal mining. Pennsylvania. No, I'm oh. sorry. It's West Virginia. Oh. West Virginia. And you lost all your money, and you, we can't have that, so I'll give you one more chance. Answer this question correctly, and you'll win $10. And please, no help from the audience. Are you ready? Think hard now. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? Grant, but I wish General I Grant is right.
Thanks and good luck. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play You Bet Your Life, and then we know it gets the $2,500 question. Right now, pay attention to this. Now then, we'll soon know who's going to earn the most money and get the chance at the $2,500 question. George, who's ahead so far? Well, the bachelor and the spinster are leading with $220. And here's our final couple coming in from their waiting room off stage. They don't know the secret word is radio. We invited some clerks from several of Hollywood's magic shops to the show tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. Louis St. Pierre and the schoolboy Dickie Taylor to be his partner. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, I'll hand over $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Fella from a magic store, eh? How's, how's tricks, uh, Louis? Very good. Louis St. Pierre, huh? That's great. You sound like a French explorer, huh? Where are you from, Louis? Hollywood Magic Shop. Is that where you were born? Huh? No, I was born in Rockford, Illinois. Dickie, how's tricks with you, huh? Okay. Where, where are you from, Dick? Uh, North Hollywood. How tricks, huh? <laughs> How, how old are you, uh, uh, Dick? Fourteen and a half. Have you got a girl? Mm, sorta. A sorted girl, did you say? <laughs> you have a girl? Then I'll just call you Freckles, huh? Could you describe your girl? I mean? Well, she's not too tall, and she's not too short. That's all? Hmm? Yeah. She has hair, I presume. <laughs> Do you uh, contemplate matrimony with this charmer, Dickie? Mm, no. Why don't you want to marry this girl? Uh, she's too fat. <laughs> and uh, where do you work, Dick? I don't work. I go to North Hollywood Junior High. What grade are you in? Uh? Grade A8. Sounds like a bottle of milk, doesn't it? <laughs> What is your favorite subject in school? English. Why do you prefer English? After that period, we go home. <laughs> You're an eager student, in other words. Eh? Well, tell me, old black magic, uh, just what do you sell in your magic store? Well, we sell rubber lizards. There must be a big demand for rubber lizards. Eh? False teeth, wigs, mustaches. What, what could you get for a thing like this? <laughs> could I swap this for a rubber lizard? Huh? Now, which of all your tricks is your favorite? Well, I believe uh, sawing woman in half. How does it work? Well, I can't disclose the secret. That comes with a purchase price. Uh -huh. And what is the purchase price? Well, they, uh, they go for about $450. That includes the woman? <laughs> no You have to supply your own woman for that? Yes, sir, that's right. It's a lot of dough for a dame you're going to cut in half. Huh? <laughs> Couldn't you get a half a woman for two and a quarter? <laughs> Now, let's play You Bet Your Life. If you can beat our other two couples in the quiz, you'll get a crack at the $2,500 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The Bachelor and the Spinster are still ahead with $220. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Locate the city. Is that right? Now, here's your first question. How much will you bet? $10. Okay. In what state do you find the city of Wichita? Kansas. Kansas is right. <laughs> $30. Remember, you're going for $2,500 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try? 20 20 In what state is the city of Lansing? Michigan. Michigan is right. Now they have $50. All right, you've got $50. And, what's, and uh, how much are you going to bet? How much of the 50 40 $40. In what state is the city of Newark? New Jersey. New Jersey is correct. <laughs> They're climbing now. They have $90. All right. You've got $90, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 90 are you going to try? All of it. All okay. of it? Sure. All right. In what state is the city of Atlanta? 
Georgia. Georgia. Georgia is right. And they wind up with a grand total of $180. And that means the spinster and the bachelor with $220 get the chance of the $2,500 question. And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the bachelor and the spinster. Well, back again to try for $2,500, eh? Good luck, and I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly, and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. An ex-secretary of state recently was appointed by President Truman as the next president of the American Red Cross. Who is this famous general who now heads the Red Cross? And what is the answer you two have decided upon? Is it, uh, General Chenault? No, I, I, I'm sorry. The correct answer is General George C. Marshall. So that means the big question next week will be worth $3,000. You made a pretty good haul. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Guan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. Maxwell House is always good to the last drop. And that's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House coffee time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, our postman Mel Blank, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. And as our special guest tonight, Harpo Marx. For your Thursday night enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. With extra flavor in the blend, because of choice Latin American coffee, skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup because Radiant Roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today more people buy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Well, this morning, we find the Burnses in their living room, where Gracie has just finished writing one of her daily newspaper columns. There. All done. And one of the best columns I've ever written. What's today's column about? All about my wonderful idea to solve inflation. What's your idea? Well, why not establish a board to control prices and not let them get too high? <laughs> uh, we have a board like that. It's called OPA. You mean someone stole my idea before yes, I even got had around. it? Yes, it got around. Yes, yes, Oh, darn. Uh, what did you say the board was called? O-P-A. How do you spell it? <laughs> O-P-A are initials. They stand for Office of Price Administration. My goodness. How did you find out all this stuff? There's a leak in Washington. <laughs> oh, what I a know Max Gordon. Dory. <laughs> I'll put this all in my column. Boy, I'd like to see Drew Pearson's face when it appears. Oh, yes. He'll be amazed. Oh, I'll say. He'll probably sit up all night and wear himself out working on the same idea. And then tomorrow morning, he'll read my column, and there he'll be, pooped and scooped. <laughs> Made a double act out of him, huh? Uh, 
Gracie, let's stop this nonsense. You know absolutely nothing about national affairs. Oh, no. Well, you just ask me any question about national affairs, and I'll snap out an answer just like that. Okay. Who's the Speaker of the House? I don't know. Next question. (laughs) What's Secretary Schwallenbach's job? Never heard of him. Keep coming, brother. That's enough. And you compare yourself to a man like Drew Pearson. Why, he knows everybody in Washington who has a job. So do I, and some Republicans, too. (laughs) You're a good mixer. Anyway, my column is different from Mr. Pearson's. He only writes political news, but I write all kinds, even Hollywood gossip. Hollywood gossip? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, listen. Listen to this little tidbit from my tomorrow's column. I say... It is rumored about the Hollywood night spots that Clark Gable wears false ears. <laughs> Gable wears false ears? Now, I don't say he does. I only say that's the rumor. But where did the rumor come from? I started it. Tracy, <laughs> you can't print stuff like that. You have to stick to the truth. Who wants to read the truth? It's too dull. Oh, fine. And I take my second item. It says, Is Margaret O'Brien really a 37-year-old woman? (laughs) But she isn't. Do I say she is? I just ask. Murder. Uh, And here's my third item. Boris Karloff, Hollywood's leading horror man, has had his face lifted. In his next picture, he will play the part of Tom, the fun-loving rover boy. Gracie, you can be sued for libel You just can't say Hi, things Hi, like... Well, what goes on here? Oh, I'm bawling Gracie out Because of all the stuff she puts in the newspaper column Tomorrow she was going to say That Hollywood's leading horror man Had his face lifted Really? They didn't do a very good job on you, George <laughs> uh, Look, a comic yeah, uh, yeah. Gracie has been printing lies in her column And I don't like it I've always been honest Well, sure you have why, when, I was a, when I was a little kid, I picked Lincoln as my hero because he was called Honest Abe. I copied him. I followed him. You voted for I him. Vo- <laughs> oh, what's the use? Only kidding, George. You know, Gracie shouldn't use those phony gossip items. What she needs is a fellow to snoop around and dig up stories that actually happened. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. Would you like to take the job, Bill? Well, no, Gracie, I wouldn't have time, but I will give you a hot flash to use in your column tomorrow. A juicy bit of scandal. What is it? Well, you can say that the handsomest young actor in Hollywood kissed a married woman while her husband just stood there with a stupid look on his face. Oh, really? When did that happen? Just now. So long. Someday I'll punch that guy right in his dimple. Oh, don't be happy. Bill's plan will solve everything. I'll get somebody to spy on the stars and tell me what they see. But who'll you get? Well, why don't you do it, George? A job like that would be a nice change from, uh, from, well, whatever it is you do. You mean give up my pickle straw? Me spy on people, oh no Oh, please, dear Nothing doing I'd have to follow Betty Grable around I'd have to peek into Lana Turner's window And hide under Rita Hayward's Say, that wouldn't be a... Jaw Okay (laughs) Come in Good morning, all Good morning, all Meredith, you may be the very man I'm looking for I need someone to collect gossip for my column Then I'm your man, Gracie Back in my hometown of Mason City, Iowa, I used to do a gossip program on the radio. Called it uh, Inside Mason City with Scoop Wilson. Good thing it wasn't Don Wilson. You couldn't get Inside Mason City with Don Wilson. Meredith, what sort of items did you do? Well, uh, I'd usually open with a shocker to get their attention. Something like, Flash, what Holstein is holding hoofs with what popular bull? was the shocker that got their attention. Yes. Then I'd broadcast news of special interest to the Iowa farmers. The uh, progress of the fight against the corn borer. The latest news... And what's the... a corn borer, Meredith? Well, that's just what the name implies, Gracie. A pest who loves corn and who loves to bore. They call it the corn borer. I thought they called you Scoop Wilson. <laughs> sure. Well, it's a little joke, yes. Well, I'll see you two geniuses later. This conversation upsets me. 
Uh, do you think I might qualify as your snooping reporter, Gracie? No, I'm afraid not, Meredith. No. I need someone who can sneak right into people's homes and spy on them. Oh. Say, I saw a thrilling spy picture called Night in Casablanca. Maybe you could hire someone from the cast. Oh, were there any exotic, ex- seductive spies in the picture? Oh, yes. There was one very attractive blonde spy. His name was uh, Harpo Marx. Harpo Marx? Yeah. In Night in Casablanca, all of the Marx brothers are spies. It was a thrilling picture. I was glued to my seat for two hours. Glued to your seat? Well, wasn't it embarrassing when you got up and your pants didn't? (laughs) By the expression, glued to my seat, I simply meant I couldn't leave. (laughs) I, uh... All of Crosby's horses couldn't have pulled me away. Well, some glue is stronger than others. (laughs) Meredith... You've given me a wonderful idea. I have? I'll go over to the Marx Brothers' house and hire one of them as my snooping reporter. Which one will you get, Gracie? Well, either Groucho or Chico. Harpo doesn't talk. That's right. He's the dumb one. All he does is chase beautiful women. Yeah, well, he's not so dumb. (laughs) See you later, Meredith. Hope the Marx Brothers are home. Oh, it's Harpo. How, how do you do, Harpo? I'm Mrs. George Burns. Oh, thank you. You think I'm pretty, huh? My uh, figure does things to you. Uh, you just can't take your eyes off my face. I'm young and alluring and irresistible siren. Um, I fascinate you. Oh, you little devil, what a line you've got. (laughs) Um, Tell me, um, where are your brothers, Groucho and Chico? Oh, oh, I see, playing cards. What are they playing, poker? Uh, Bridge? No. Well, what are they playing? Oh, oh, Jim. <laughs> you know, I can understand you just fine. How would you like to be my snooping reporter and go around and spy on people? <whistles> oh, wonderful. Now you can come to my house and choose <laughs> On Mobile Bay, it's Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. seems to me that tune you're playing is a real old-timer. Oh, yes, it is, Bill. It's called On Mobile Bay and was composed back in 1910. Really? And by the way, have you ever sailed down the great shipping bay? No, Meredith, but many's the time I've walked along the weather-grade wharves. And what a sight it is to see all the different steamships and freighters from far-flung ports. Why, they hail from Europe, the Windward Islands, the Caribbean, New Zealand, Hawaii, and from many other corners of the world. And then there's all the hustle and drama of men and cargo booms landing the exotic freight. Mahogany logs, sandalwood, spices, and tropical fruits and barks. Mobile Bay is certainly a unique and colorful part of our American scene. And you know, I can't help thinking, too, how it's no wonder that Maxwell House coffee has become so much a part of the American scene. 
For this nation of coffee lovers have enjoyed the richly mellow flavor of Maxwell House for generations. And today it's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee. There's good reason, too, for Maxwell House is a skillful blend of these choice Latin American coffees, each chosen for its own special contribution. Manizales for mellowness. Medellins for richness. Other choice Latin American coffees for vigor. And Bucaramangas for full body. The result is a blend so flavorful, so satisfying, that northeast, south, and west, coffee lovers agree Maxwell House is downright good. Good to the last drop. Serious, Gracie. You hide Harpo Marx as your snooping reporter? Well, sure. Well, what good is he? He doesn't talk. But he honks. So does a goose, and, and that you can eat. <laughs> you better get rid of him. Well, I, I've got him out working on all kinds of scoops right now. For instance, wouldn't it be wonderful if he could uh, get the inside story of how Mickey Rooney kisses his wife goodbye? Huh? Well, maybe he can find out the name of the fellow who boosts him up. <laughs> Uh, I see what you mean. Oh, there's Harpo. What do you bet he's got a wonderful scoop? Come in. Hello, Harpo. Oh, I'd like you to meet my husband, George. And beep beep to you. Uh, did you uh, bring me the scoop, Harpo? Good, let's have it. Oh, no, not a cold scoop. Smart as a whip, this kid. Harpo, let me explain to you what a scoop is. For instance, if you knew a story about one of Hollywood's great lovers that no one else knew, that would be a scoop. Oh, you mean you've got such a story? Oh, wonderful. Who's the great lover? Clark Gable? No, huh? Errol Flynn? Not him either. Jerome Power? Well, who is it then? Oh, no. Spring is here. Now, George, this might be a very interesting story. Tell me about it, Harpo. I suppose there's a girl involved. Oh, well, I don't know if that's three plain ones or one knockout. Oh, one knockout. Then you have a rival, I suppose. Oh, I thought so. What sort of a fella is he? He doesn't like a villain. No, he sounds like a cad. Now, when did all this take place, Harpo? Oh, yeah, I see. Saturday night. <laughs> now, exactly what happened on Saturday night? Oh, you called on your girl. Uh, were her mother and father home? Oh, just her mother. <laughs> this is the greatest story since Lost Weekend. <laughs> Well, what happened next, Harpo? Did you take your girl over to the sofa? Uh-huh. And then what? Oh, I see. Well, how do you feel when you kiss your girl, Harpo? <laughs> uh -huh. She must be quite a girl. <laughs> All right, you were kissing her. Then what? Uh-huh. And uh, was there someone at the door, maybe? Uh-huh. Who was it? We got it? the cue backwards, but we got it in. <laughs> the rival, huh? And what did he want? Oh, same thing you wanted. Well, did he take your girl away from you? Oh, poor Hopple. Did you find someone else to neck with? Oh, yeah? Who was she? <laughs> You had to take her mother. Well, I guess the young girls don't go for you. The Bobby Sock is like a different type of man. He's, uh, 
He's, he's rattling bones. Well, that's who they like, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> well, you see, Hoppo, it's too bad that you can't serenade the girls like Frankie Boy does. Ooh, that's right. You have your harp. Oh, show us how you woo the girls with that. was wonderful, but I still need a scoop for my column. Something exciting like a robbery. Find out who held up Hetty Lamar and Dorothy Lamar. And find out who held up W.C. Fields. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was held up. You don't think he can stand alone, do you? <laughs> oh, George, this is a serious assignment. Now get going, Harpo. Uh, get me a big scoop on a robbery. Gracie, that guy's a complete jerk. He is not. He's a brilliant man, and he has a brilliant future. Brilliant future? Yes. He can't talk. I know. Wouldn't he make a wonderful congressman? <laughs> uh, but we want a reporter. Get rid of Harpo and get yourself someone intelligent. Come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. And Mr. Burns. Oh, hello, Mr. Postman. Hello, Mr. Postman. Did I interrupt the family tete-a-tete? I was just telling my wife she ought to get a new helper. The one she's got is a complete jerk. But she loves you, Mr. Burns. <laughs> oh, Mr. Postman, the helper George referred to is that famous fellow who's always chasing girls. And he wears a blonde curly wig. Oh, Bill Goodwin. <laughs> yeah, that's close enough. If you two will excuse me, I'll see you later. Well, you still, still didn't guess who my helper is, Mr. Postman. It's Harpo Marx. He's my snooping reporter. Oh, I see. How would you like to help him snoop? As a postman, you visit all the celebrities' homes. I'm sorry, Mrs. Burns, but postal regulations forbid a letter carrier to use his position or equipment for personal gain. <laughs> I can't even blow my postman's whistle at a girl. Oh, really? <laughs> That's right. I did it once and got 17 years at hard labor. Oh, just for blowing your whistle at a girl? Yes. I later married her. <laughs> oh, well, I guess you can't help me then. 
No, but here comes Mr. Goodwin. Perhaps he can suggest someone. Yeah, I'll ask him. Hello, Bill. Hi, Gracie. Good afternoon, Mr. Goodwin. Good afternoon, Mr. Postman. <laughs> Bill, I hired Harpo Marx as my snooping reporter, but George doesn't think he's so good. Really? Well, why'd you hire Harpo? Well, he's a spy in the Marx Brothers' new picture, Night in Casablanca. Oh, well, yes, I saw the picture last night, Gracie. What a love scene with Carol Davis. Wow. Oh, no, Bill. The girl in the picture was Lois Collier. Well, yeah, but I was in the balcony with Carol Davis. <laughs> oh, Mr. Goodwin. When, Mr. I Goodwin? envy you your gay, romantic life. You do? I do. <laughs> Always a different girl. Once you marry one, the glamour is gone. Really, Mr. Postman? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, What a mess at night. Wrinkle cream, foundation cream, chin strap, curlers. Oh, but Bill wouldn't give that up just because he got married. <laughs> Gracie, I'll have you know I employ no such devices to enhance my charm. All I use is a few drops of a tantalizing scent that women can't resist. Oh, so that's the secret of your appeal. Well, yes. Behind each ear, I put a wee drop of Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> Maxwell House coffee. Well, Mr. Postman, can you think of anything that has a more delightful fragrance, a more inviting aroma? Maxwell House is appetizing, rich, full-bodied, and mellow coffee at its full-flavored best. Good to the last drop. Well, we finally found out what happens to that last drop. <laughs> Bill puts it behind his ear. Why don't you try it, Mr. Postman? Maxwell House has a universal appeal. As a matter of fact, more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Really? Yes, of course. I'll bet if you try my little trick, Mr. Postman, your wife will grab you in her arms and kiss you. What a horrible thought. <laughs> oh, Mr. Postman, if your wife is like you say, how did she ever get you to propose to her? Oh, she turned my head. Oh, flattery, huh? No, she just took my head in her hands and turned it till I did. <laughs> well, goodbye, folks. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> Good, there's Harpo with my scoop. Come in. Hello, Harpo. The sunset bus is back. <laughs> well, Harpo, did you get a story about a robbery? <whistles> Wonderful. Harpo, I want to apologize. Let me shake your hand. Uh, what did the robber steal? Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. A piece of silverware just fell out of a sleeve. He must be the robber. Oh, no, not Harpo. He probably just had lunch at the Brown Derby and picked up a souvenir. Hmm. <laughs> he had breakfast and dinner there, too. <laughs> a fine man you hired, Gracie. He's nothing but a crook. A no-good Oh, thieving... now, don't get so excited, George. Calm down. I'll go in the kitchen and get you a glass of water. Harpo Marks. Shame on you. Breaking the law for three lousy knives. <laughs> For five lousy knives. <laughs> For six lousy. <laughs> For a few. For a few. you ashamed of yourself? Aren't you sorry you stole them? <laughs> what would your mother think if she found out that you walked into a restaurant? <laughs> if she... <laughs> if she... <laughs> How about the hillcrest? Why, look, you, you stole it from some poor man. Holy smoke, you've stolen everything but the kitchen sink. <laughs> that too, huh? I feel sorry for the poor sucker you stole this all from. 
Oh, George, I couldn't get your glass of water. Someone stole our kitchen sink. <laughs> you mean I'm the guy you robbed? You robbed the fat... You robbed the fat... You robbed... Until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Oh, goody, goody, jello pudding tonight. It tastes like grandma's only more so. You ain't kidding, that's right. And, and just, just as jello, jello six delicious locked in flavors can't be beaten. So the proof of jello pudding's in the eating. The Jell-O twins are hard to find, but keep on looking in your store. When sugar shortages are over, there'll be more. Just a taste of Jell-O pudding or a Jell-O and you know it's the one and only J-E-L-L-O. Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Tracy Allen, Meredith Wilson's orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Stay tuned to this station because Bird's Eye Open House, starring Dinah Shore, is coming on in just a second. Dinah's special guest tonight is Peter Laurie. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification.